Okay, hello. Uh, welcome to the latest uh, episode of Getting There, uh, eSchool News Discussions with uh, School Chief Technology Officers on how their schools are responding to the COVID-19 pandemic crisis. My name is Kevin Hogan, and with me this afternoon is Mark Finstrom. Hi, Mark. How are you doing, Kevin? Good. And Mark is the Chief Technology Officer for Highline Public Schools in Burien, Washington, which, as you just said, is, is essentially five miles outside of Seattle, uh, and which was kind of the initial place for the U.S. where we started to see the realities of, of the pandemic. Uh, Mark, how you doing? I'm doing well, Kevin. I'm hanging in there, I should say. Yeah, yeah, as, as we all are. Uh, you're the, <coughs> pardon me, the fourth or fifth conversation I've had so far, um, but I thought the particular aspects of how you have dealt with some of the device management and planning uh, was particularly innovative and it was uh, through the use of data. Maybe you could start off a little bit and talk about um, your district, uh, sure. the size of the district, and then uh, talk a little bit about how you went about uh, this interesting angle of device management. Yeah, so our, our district is uh, just shy of 20,000 students when you consider um, we have what's called a skill center. So we bring in other district students. Uh, I think our population is more around the 18,000 for uh, student count. We have uh, 34 schools. So we cover pre-K through age 21 in those schools. And we have a uh, very high uh, newcomer population as well as uh, really a high McKinney-Vento free and reduced lunch as well. Okay. So as you stated, we're, we're five miles from uh, Seattle, but we surround SeaTac International Airport. So we have five areas. Uh, we have the city of Burien, city of Normandy Park, city of Des Moines, uh, city of SeaTac, and then we have unincorporated King County. And uh, our population really is uh, very diverse around that because of the port. The Port of Seattle brings in a lot of uh, families who, you know, they're either, they could be a refugee, uh, they could have uh, transitioned to the U.S. and they landed basically in Seattle and uh, they found a job with hospitality or some other uh, service so they're they're close by the uh, airport and they deal with multitudes of things so we're a very uh, racially and and uh, economically diverse district as well so that also plays into the fact that we have uh, in many cases some might say the rich of the rich who live along the uh, the boundary of Puget Sound and then we have in some places, uh, trailer parks and trailer homes and high-rise uh, apartment complexes where you might be having uh, two or three generations living in a, an apartment complex uh, together. So what we did was we looked at the data that was in our system and we realized we had a high discrepancy of data that uh, showed lack of connectivity uh, lack of devices at home. Uh, we div distributed over 13,000 computers in an under two week window of time 
to our students. And that was immediately after we started um, to know that we were gonna shut down. So we shut down, I think the date for us was uh, March 13th. That was when our schools closed the doors. And within two weeks after that, we had distributed out the 13,000 uh, devices. And uh, that meant we actually engaged many different people. So I needed to know where all these families were and, you know, how do you contact them and what do you do? So I used a, a product from uh, Guide K-12. It's now part of Forecast 5, and it's a geovisual mapping program. And we have all of our uh, student demographic data inside there, and we can see it by school, by grade level, by many different things. And uh, I knew that a large population I needed to meet were the McKinney-Vento students. These are the homeless students. And what I did was I uh, pulled up the map, and then I started running a different uh, series of, of uh, criteria and against that, and I was able to identify where my families were living and where these McKinney-Vento students were we're actually living. And if it's okay, I'd like to show you a uh, screen here, and you're going to have to enable that for me, okay? Oh, I am, okay. Down the bottom of your screen, it should say uh, share screen and allow others. If you, yeah, it might be. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and I'm going to pull up a screen here. Uh, because I think when I show you this, it's going to help you to uh, get an idea of demographics as well. So you should be able to see a multicolored uh, screen. Yep. And it's going to show on the left-hand side, in fact, um, that it looks pretty small for you, I'm sure. But on the left-hand side, it actually talks about the number of devices that we delivered out to the families. Wow. I'm gonna uh, scroll out just a little bit because this is where it really starts to give you an impact of the the definition of what it means to deliver to a student population. So, you know, I'm I'm sending that out. Those dots that you see that are out there, you know, in some cases, 20, 30, 40 miles away from the school district are where we have students. These students are combination of things. They, some of these are, again, the homeless students, McKinney-Vento. Some of these might be uh, transfers in because of a, a unique uh, program that we offer. But really, those dots represent every device that I put out to my students. And I'm gonna go out one more because you will see that the dots get further and further and further away from yeah. the district. We actually have some dots that are close to 80 miles away uh, from us. And, uh, you know, these are students who we transport uh, basically with buses in on a normal school year. This has been far from normal, obviously. Right. And if you if you just go north of the uh, the airport and go straight up, this is all Seattle right here. Okay. This whole section that I'm circling, 
So you go further up, you know, I've got students way up here. Wow. And I've got students clear down here on the south side. In order to get to those locations, um, you know, our district is about uh, 10 miles in length from, from the north to the south. So it gives you a perspective. It's, it's about 45 miles to get down here, but it's really more like 60 miles. And it's the same up here to get to those uh, locations. Okay. Because it really isn't great traffic paths. Right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back in here. I want to get it back to a place where we can kind of look at this from a perspective. And you can also see that there are clusters. Those clusters really identify the locations where you have uh, density populations. You know, there's uh, apartment complexes and the like. In fact, if I even go in a little bit closer yet, you're gonna, whoops, I went the wrong direction. Sorry about that. Too many things too fast here. <laughs> So now you can really see the clusters. Like if you look right here, yeah. this is a large apartment complex. Well, you know, when you get into a large apartment complex, now you start running into the issue of the internet connectivity. Um, I've been lobbying with the FCC, um, Commissioner Ajipai and uh, Jessica Rosenworcel has really been on our side advocating as well. But the FCC uh, believes that there's, no broadband disparity between students. Like all families have broadband connectivity. We know that's not the, the case. Right. We have uh, roughly uh, 2,200 hotspots in our district. Uh, we haven't deployed them all because some of the, the needs have, have kind of gone down because our school years come to an end. Uh, but we're starting to deploy again. Now we're in the phase two of deploying devices. So I'm going to change my, my link here. I'm going to go to uh, hotspot access and I'm going to say true. And this is going to show, I'm going to take off the Chromebooks. This is going to show where we have hotspots now. And you're going to see some of that same area start to uh, come in again. So right here, you're starting mm -hmm. to see a large group. And again, I have roughly uh, 2,000 hotspots out there. So each one of these dots represents either one or two hotspots in those areas. So I was talking about Jessica Rosenworcel, who is supporting us. And she said, you know, it, it should be common sense for the FCC to fund internet connectivity. I mean, think of it like this. I say internet as a utility. That's how I've been talking to everybody. If you rent an apartment, you get your gas, you get your water, you get your garbage. Sometimes you get cable TV. You get all those things as part of your monthly service fee. Right. Well, why, are not, why not add internet connectivity to that same thing? Because at that point, you're basically providing internet as a utility for all the people who have it. Most people who have a house are not going to um, go without internet. They may right. use their cell phones. You know, a lot of people use their cell phones as, as their hotspot. 
Sure. But in our particular case, we needed to make sure that our students were able to stay connected. And so as I focused on that with my teaching and learning department and with the superintendent, you're gonna see here the, uh, the dots. You know, they're just gonna keep spreading out and you're gonna see them appear further and further out. And, uh, you know, like I say, this represents a subset of them. We're only looking at uh, currently the uh, middle school schools Okay. The colors that are inside there. So you're seeing the middle school hotspot uh, usage. Now, was this um, why you first purchased this software? I mean, what, what were the original no. intents of, of no. uh, using this data? And how did you come around to, to, the, to this particular bright idea? So uh, the original purpose for, for getting this data, I'll clear it all and I'll... Uh, close that. Original purchase was designed to do boundaries and to look at our students. Okay. So right now you're seeing every one of our students in the school district show wow. up. Wow. So you can see there's a fair amount of students who do not live inside those colored areas that attends Highline Public Schools. Yeah. And some of those are by choice. Some of those the parents might work in the school district. Again, McKinney-Vento might be in there. And then we have um, it's still choice when you consider uh, the skill center, but we have a number of students who come for that. But we have a need to be able to uh, align schools with the population that exists inside their, their boundaries. So I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna turn off the dots because I wanna just focus on these pictures a little bit. I'm actually gonna change this to the elementary boundaries because that'll help a little bit more. So now I'll blow this up a little bit here so that you can see that a little closer. Each one of these colored areas represents a uh, basically an elementary school boundary. And when I uh, look at this, I'm looking at traffic patterns, I'm looking at uh, feeder patterns, feeder pattern meaning going from elementary to middle to a high school. I'm looking at programs that might be associated with uh, schools, whether that be uh, dual language, high capacity, uh, special needs, uh, uh, hard of hearing, deaf programs. And what we try to do is keep our schools within a certain population uh, for maximum capacity, but also for operational capacity. So you don't want to have a elementary school that could hold uh, 600 students with only 300 students in that school. Right. right. So uh, we knew that we were building a brand new middle school. And these, you're looking at the elementaries. And so there are 18 elementary dots or geographic forms there. But they were going to go into only four, or they did go into only four middle schools. They're now going into five middle schools. This beige area was actually split between blue, pink, and that uh, greenish, grayish area. Okay. And now that we've added that new school, I had to change boundaries. So we had a, a group called the Capital Facilities Advisory Committee, 
which is made up of community residents. And for, uh, they're still meeting, but for this particular uh, meeting, we met for two years to talk about boundaries, to select data, to get information. And we used this to basically draw those maps. Because I can go in here and I can actually redraw a map saying, well, I want to, I want the boundary to be here instead. So I'm going to put a middle school right here. Mm -hmm. And then what it'll do is it'll tell me how many students are in there, what schools they go to, what programs they're in, their grade levels. And then I can see how many actually transfer out of that area and go to another school because school of choice or uh, daycare needs. Yeah. Other things. It's like SimCity on steroids. It is. It is. And it, it works fabulously to develop this. And so what I ended up doing was I developed a series of, of maps. We had a group called the ABC, Alternative Boundary Committee, that propped up in the community that, uh, you know, they didn't have access to the software, but yet they were questioning why we were putting boundaries the way that we put boundaries. And when we showed them in the meeting, well, this is what happens when you put a boundary here. They say, oh, well, you know, Google Maps doesn't give us all that data, so we don't know what families live there. Yeah. And we use a lot of demographic data. You know, so we're looking at birth rates, death rates, uh, housing sales. Um, we're looking at the transition of the, the uh, property because I tie in information that's related to uh, various things. I have, uh, I have filters that are inside there that give me data related to uh, uh, King County material. So okay. King County puts in information, I'm able to see that. Okay. Now what sort of um, tactics are you using this for uh, planning for the, for the fall and for, for next year? Yeah, so uh, we're still in that stage right now with the Office of Superintendent of Public Instruction, our Department of Ed in Washington, to define what school is for the next school year. Uh, we are presented with three options right now, and we're working through those three options. One is continued distance learning and have students at home and teachers at home. Uh, that presents some unique challenges because we have daycare needs and other things. Uh, staff themselves have children and their need to be able to take care of their own children. Um, and then you have uh, children who their parents might be going back to work. And so they're uh, in need of, of service. Um, and then we have a phased in approach, meaning we're going to start to bring back certain uh, segments of, of students. You know, it's hard to say who that could be. That could be students who are falling behind academically and we're gonna service them. Um, it could be our ELL populations. Um, it could be a couple other things. And then um, the last one is really bringing them in by grade levels. Okay. So that might be, you know, starting with our K-3s where we have uh, class size reduction, you know, 17 students per class. We can fit them into a classroom without them being six 
less than six feet apart. Yeah. But you get to a high school where you potentially could have 30 or 40 students inside that classroom, and there's no way that you could put 40 inside that same space and have them six feet apart. Right. So then we have to think about whether or not there might be uh, rotational, like a, an A-B schedule or something for them. And I'm using this mapping program to help us identify the student populations that are inside those areas. Okay. I can, I can get it um, spreadsheet format, but mapping also gives me other details. It starts to show me the dual languages and, and how everything interrelates. And when you're looking at a, well, I'm very visual. I don't know if you are, uh, Kevin, but I'm very visual. Yeah. And when I see something on a screen that is spreadsheet. Pie well, chart. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard to, yeah. to kind of picture that. But I drop that data into here, and what it does is it gives me that, that full picture of, of the data. And it tells me about those kids. So let me go back and, oh, here, I'll just show you uh, real quick here. I'll turn on the dots. So that little dot, that little uh, section that I, that I did there. Yeah. Now you can kind of see the students inside that area. I'll move this down so that you, you can see that. And you'll see all the little dots start to show up. Yeah. And each one of those dots represents one of our students. And in that particular section, uh, there it looks like there's about uh, 250 some dots inside there. Yep. Doesn't look like much right now, but it is. Yeah, right. But <laughs> well, if it was in a spreadsheet, it would it would make your your mind explode, right? Yeah. So as I look at it, I'm able to see the impact of the airport. I'm able to see the impact of uh, the sound. Uh, the traffic levels that, that happen around the, the district. Again, these, these areas like this one right here uh, that I'm circling where it's, uh, it is an apartment complex. Yeah. And I also, I watch the cities and I get information from the cities on planned building. So if I come down here to the south end of the airport, there is a huge development that has started down here on the south end, and it's starting to actually fill out now, and it's this portion down in here. Right, right. And this portion before was about, uh, I would say, maybe uh, one-fifth the population that's in there right now, and it is six, uh, four-story, apartment condos basically and they're they're really just selling them out like crazy right now and what's happening is that whole population is turning there used to be a hundred students there and they lived in trailer homes okay they got displaced once they got displaced then they got uh you know the the process was well we're going to rebuild so then they started rebuilding and and putting things in so I will get notices from uh, uh, 
a school saying, hey, we heard that they're talking about closing down uh, the trees mobile home. Can you tell us how many students are inside that? And I can find that location, move in there, and I can then change that so I can look at that. So I have the ability to change this to be by satellite, which then gives me the actual uh, graphics of the, the area. So now, mm -hmm. visually, yeah. thinking yeah. about it, I now am able to drill in and say, yeah, I drove by that place. I know exactly where it is. And then I can, I can go in even closer on some of these locations and I can say, okay, I know that there is, like this is one of my elementary schools right here, this, this section that I'm highlighting over. And so I got a lot of students who just walk in there. Here happens to be a trailer home park right here. Mm -hmm. And when I go in there and I highlight that, I can find out how many students have been displaced. So the map may not be uh, current as of every moment when I go in and look at it. Yeah. But I do know the boundaries and I know enough to be able to pull in there and find out that information. Well, that was a question I had. I mean, how, how, how often is the data refreshed? Oh, it's refreshed quite often. Uh, it's, you know, they're using, like in this particular item, if you go down in the lower right corner, you're going to see they're using 2020 maps from Google. Okay. You might not be able to see that. But they give a, uh, a number that associates with that map, and then that map tells me the vintage. And we can go from there. But geographically, I mean, uh, that section that's right over here looks like a bunch of white buildings about the same size of Highline School District. That is what's called the South Center area. That's mall and uh, businesses. Yeah. And, you know, we got students who surround that. You can see them. But it's not actually in our school district. It is part of the... Um, Tuck Willis School District, very small school district. Okay. Now, are there, are there any aspects of this um, GPS related in terms of the, the devices? Are you managing the devices on this as well? Yep. Well, I to some degree. So, I GPS tells me everywhere a device is. Now, we're only looking at the students. So, I use another product in uh, with this called GoGuardian. Uh, GoGuardian gives me actual uh, GPS locations of a device when it is on the internet. Okay. So connected, it'll send back a, uh, a GPS point of reference. It'll also give me the IP address of that device if they're, they're off district. So uh, it does tell me a little bit more information because I can use that to decipher whether or not they're running on Comcast, they're running on uh, T-Mobile, Verizon, whether or not they've got CenturyLink, because I know the, the strings and the information. My plans here are to work with the cellular providers and actually put in all the cell towers that are around the area so that I can actually then start to triangulate where students have the best signal from uh, each provider. Because hmm. I currently have hotspots from two providers and I will have to switch sometimes because the, the family can't get signal. And this would then give me the opportunity to go between four different providers and get that signal. 
there are other things that I want to do with the uh, software in terms of uh, thinking about the the programs that we offer and how we move students through the system. So we do use uh, a, we use sister schools. So uh, you might attend uh, one school, which is an English school, and the sister school might be an English school. It might be a Somali uh, equivalent. It might be a Vietnamese equivalent. And the, the students will move between those two schools based upon the program that they're in and where they live and how they attend. And so we use that information with our ELL department uh, related to our newcomers and our family engagement, our community engagement, because we have a lot of community partners that we work with. That's really, really powerful stuff. Mark, I really appreciate your time. This is really, um, again, whenever I have these conversations, I get to the end of them and I, I kind of feel hopeful. My, my, my glass is half full that um, there's actually being some, uh, some improvement and some successes uh, as, we, as we move forward in all this madness. So, so thanks again for, uh, for talking with me. Oh, you bet. Well, you know, if there's an opportunity to provide insight to others and, and for them to think about the use of tools, like I said, Guide K-12, uh, I've used them now for about, uh, I think it's almost six years. And I can't imagine doing most of this without using the product now. It's yeah. just become part of, it's like vernacular, you know, yeah. you use it as a word. And I go into a cabinet meeting and we'll be having a conversation. I'll say, well, just give me a second. I'll pull that up and I'll tell, yeah. you, I'll tell you exactly what's there. Because I can pull it up through this tool in both spreadsheet and uh, GeoVisual. Okay. So I get both, both views of it. So it's, it's an excellent tool. Great. But yeah, thank you very much. Uh, look forward to hearing from you and others. And if there are any questions, let me know. Keep sharing the best practices. Great. Well, thanks right. again. And thanks everybody for watching. You bet. Thanks.